funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. like we should talk about will smith bitch slapping chris rock but we do need to let everyone know that this is going to be a week old story so by the internet terms it's going to be like 10 years aged but i don't care because it's so epic we have to mention it you know yeah people will this will be a good reminder people will have completely forgot this happened because we'll be like you know we'll be in nuclear war or something um but like, yeah, it's 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 insane, man. He just fucking walked right up there and just pimp slapped him right in front of everybody. It was insane. This just for those of you who are listening, this just happened last night. We're recording this the day after the Oscars. Yeah, so I mean, this time, like that, this this will post a week, a little over a week after. So if the bombs are falling and you hear the whistling in the wind of the missiles telfin, <laughs> uh, just just remember. That on live television, like a Family Guy skit, like Will Smith marched up the stairs and down the stage of the Oscars <laughs> and slapped Chris Rock, one of the most well-known, amazing comedians on the planet, in the face and then screamed at him. I mean, I mean and this is after uh, laughing at the joke and only getting up and committing <laughs> committing uh an act of violence after his wife didn't laugh at the joke um you know hey man uh i was gonna say crazier things have happened but they really haven't that was that was the the tippy top of it you know yeah it's funny because i didn't watch the oscars so like i'm I'm sitting there i forgot what i was watching but i'm sitting there and i get a text from you and you're like (laughs) it's just like the text just says will smith just slapped Chris Rock. And I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? So I, so I immediately Google it and I see it and I'm like, Oh shit. Like he, he fucking slapped him. And and I responded. And then like a couple minutes later, you're like, I don't think you're responding to this the way it needs to be responded to. <laughs> but that's because like, I was legitimately, I was just sitting there like, is this real? Right. Right. Like I was like, I wasn't in shock, but I was like, I guess I was going through the stages in my head of like, is this, or was this staged? Like, was this real? And then like, you sent me the uncensored version and like just the look on Chris Rock's face and just fucking Will Smith screaming, keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. I think he (laughs) said it like three times. It was like, no, this shit is legit and it is amazing. Yeah. Before I saw the uncensored version, like my, my reaction literally was like, it was not, it, it, my reaction wasn't even, was that real? My reaction was almost like, oh my God, that looked real. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was so, it like his reaction, like Chris Rock was, was so shocked that it was just like, that couldn't have been planned. Like, right. Like there's, there's no punchline to that bit. Like there's no, like. <laughs> That's the thing. Like I saw the shock on his face before I saw the uncensored version. And I was thinking like, yeah, that has to be real because not only did he look really shocked, but there was no point to it. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a bit like there was no payoff, like you said. So it, it's just, it's fucking nuts, dude. Like 
I also, I think it's kind of weird. I understand that they're all like movie stars and like everyone in there like is accounted for, et cetera, et cetera. I still find the lack of security somewhat alarming. I, w- um, I wonder what, what would it have, what, what stage would it have to have gone to for some kind of security to get involved? I mean, I'm guessing if Chris Rock had like swung back or something like some kind of security would have stormed the stage. I mean, right. I mean, I don't, I don't Dude, know. I think it would have been great. What if he would look swung back and like a, like a full on fight would have went down and not security, but like Kevin Costner, yep, yep. like had to break them up. Dude, that would just be, it would have just been icing on the cake. Well, well, you know who it would have been. It would have been Denzel. Denzel would have been the third person on that stage. Like he would have been up there. That's true. Yeah. He would have been breaking, but but J.K. Simmons was pretty close to the stage too. So like, imagine Denzel, J.K. Simmons, and Kevin Costner <laughs> breaking up a fight between Will Smith and Chris Rock. I'm sorry, but there would never be a better thing on television. Well, I'm just now. I'm like now. I'm like sad that that didn't happen. Now I'm like, oh yeah, no, who who cares that he he slapped Chris Rock? Like the real thing, the real cool thing would have been just like a WWE Royal Rumble with like all of the nominated performers you know just like beating the shit out of each other that's what i really want to see like benedict switches back into character right right like sam elliott shows up just to fight benedict mm-hmm. for being a gay cowboy <laughs> um <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah you know shit just goes insane yeah you know sam elliott would have been saying some slurs if he would have been involved in that whole fracas <laughs> you know um Dude, I'm just sorry. Like, like, and like another piece of me wishes, like, what, like Chris Rock would have went feral. Yeah. Like, yeah. As soon as he was threatened, he just like gets the mic and starts like, I don't know if it was corded, but like he starts swinging it or he starts trying to use it yeah. to like bludgeon Will Smith. <laughs> I just wish, I just wish he would have like, he would have responded with some like really cutting, you know, remark, you know, because Will, Will Smith is, you know, a pretty athletic guy, and like, you know, he's yeah, he's a big dude. He's athletic. Yeah, and especially at this at this at this stage in his career, it really seems like he's you know uh, a man of action as opposed to a man of words. I wish Chris Rock had waited until he sat down and then just been like, you know, said something just horrific about about Jada Pinkett Smith, and then you know, then all hell would have broken loose. <laughs> like then, then we really would have had a situation on our hands, you know. Like when he was screaming, keep my wife's name out your mouth, instead of using her name, he could have just referred to her as like that bald lady or something. <laughs> and shit just would have went just insane. Uh, now, this is the way that I learned Will Smith's wife has alopecia, which I wasn't 100% certain what alopecia. I mean, I knew what it was, but I didn't know really what it entailed, um, aside from the bit on Arrested Development. That he had alopecia and had fake eyebrows. Okay, look, I'm gonna catch some heat for this, I'm sure, but like, oh god, don't say it. Alopecia is just hair loss. Like that's all it is. Like it literally is just hair loss. So like a bald guy has alopecia. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I feel for like it's got to be tough for women to go bald, but you know what? It's tough for men to go bald too. Like, it's that's true. Like you know what I mean? It's just like it's like it's just it's just hair loss. Like it's not like she has some kind of like. It's not like she had cancer, you know, and Chris Rock was like, hey, nice look, Baldy. You know what I mean? Like, well, then it would have been even better. Well, that would, yeah, that would have been even better. <laughs> I thought you were going a different direction. So, I'm, uh, yeah, that was, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's just, yeah. You know, like, are bald people a, a protected class now? Like, come on. 
Hey, you know what? You just need to back off, pal. You're coming in a little hot. <laughs> hey, you know that this is way off topic, but uh, have you ever seen that Seinfeld episode where um, where George and Jerry run into each other and they have to act like they don't know each other? Sounds familiar. Well, they they have to act like they don't know each other because they're trying to I don't know bed some woman or something. You know, George is sleeping with some you know ten out of ten uh, like he always does, but uh, but George is like kind of berating Jerry and he's like, Oh, so you're a comedian, huh? Oh, interesting. You do a lot of that uh, observational comedy. A lot of people doing that, you know, just kind of jabbing at Jerry. And then in the middle of it, Jerry gets mad and goes, boy, you really went bald, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is one of my, uh, I think Chris Rock should have just said that. He should just went up there and went, Jada, you really went bald, huh? <laughs> Dude, there's just, just so many different ways, you know. I guess we have to stop imagining how much more awesome it would have been, mm-hmm. but still, it was glorious. And and if for some reason you live under a rock and you haven't seen the video, go watch. No, it. No, there's no chance because it's worth it. There's no chance. Anybody listening to this has to have seen that uncensored video. Yeah, it's. Uh, hey, you know what? For for for, from I've been saying this, but for about twenty minutes there. It really did distract me from everything bad in my life and in the world at large. And you know what? That's that's about all we can ask for these days. After the slap heard round the world, as they call it, or slap gate, as I call it, mm-hmm. for those 20 minutes, we forgot who Putin was. Right. Uh, <laughs> those glorious 20 <laughs> minutes where we all just looked at each other and went, did that just fucking happen? You know, before the takes started rolling in. And then... Everything came crashing back, and now it's time to cancel Will Smith. Um, <laughs> no, it's anyway. The man committed assault. It's time to arrest him. I would, if I, dude, if I'd have been there, I would have citizened as arrested Will Smith on the spot. Really, you would have been like a little narc bitch arresting Will Smith for defending his wife's honor. Yeah, I'd have been like nine one one. Send the LAPD up here. Also, no one with a Facebook talk show has any real honor. <laughs> So <laughs> wait, who has a is that is that Will Smith? I think his wife has a has a fucking talk show called The Red Table or something. Oh, shit. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, didn't she you like know what? didn't she like confess to like cucking him on on that, that talk show? She did. And I'm just gonna stop myself right here because I don't want to have to do a lot of editing on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so Well well he might come for us, dude. If if he listens to this, he's gonna be fucking pissed. So we better watch what we say. That is true. I just want to wake up to Will Smith screaming outside in my house, say, keep my wife's name out of your mouth. Like, <laughs> that would be epic. Uh, anyway, guys, today, you know, I, we're here to wrap up our Tony Scott extravaganza, our our deep dive into the brain of what I have now learned is honestly a very underrated, brilliant director. Mm. Really, truly mean that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, today we're going to be talking about, uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about Deja Vu. We're talking about Unstoppable, taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3, and what's the other one? Domino. Domino. Yeah. Not to be confused with the Marvel character Domino, whose superpower is being lucky. I, uh, you know, I don't know that. I don't know that superhero. Um, well, I'm only saying that because honestly, a lot of people thought this was about when it came out in 2005, a lot of people thought Kira Knightley was playing Domino, the same hero that, uh, I cannot remember her name. She's great. I really like her, uh, from Deadpool. 
she played Domino in Deadpool 2. Zazie Beats. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I just said that mainly as a joke because seriously, in 2005, it was a real thing. People thought that there was a he was making a movie about a superhero. Well, you know, it's crazy that uh, another, you know, vulgar tourist, Brian De Palma, also made a movie called Domino. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's some kind of some kind of connection here. Maybe it has something to do with the CIA. I don't know. We'll see. Did you ever play Dominoes? You know, I didn't. I, I don't. I don't even really know how to play Dominoes. I'm a fan. Played Chicken Foot and uh... <laughs> the hell's Chicken Foot. It's Chicken Foot or Chicken Feet. It was just a game. Uh, I played Dominoes when I was a kid. Really enjoyed it. I don't know why I don't play anymore. Probably because you're an adult. That's not true. It's an old person game. No offense oh, to any old people. That's listening. true. Yeah, it's like but... it's like backgammon in that regard. I don't know how to fucking play backgammon. I don't either. I don't know. I don't know how to play any of that shit. I just know chess and checkers. Well, we're getting into that stage in life to where we'll probably have to learn how to play. So, mm-hmm. yeah that that'll be the uh, that'll be the that's the future of silver screen video. It's just a a staticky uh, CCTV feed of me and John playing playing dominoes in a park somewhere. Yeah, in, the, in a park, some park in New York, right? Just mumbling about, and we'll be like, Will Smith punched somebody at the Oscars. And they'll be like, uh huh, sure he did, Grandpa. (laughs) They'll be like, yeah, yeah, 40 years ago. uh, Will Smith has been dead for 15 years. Um, Anyway, okay, let's do this. Let's talk about Domino. Domino was in 2005. Now, mind you, hopefully you guys are listening to this, haven't already listened to part one and part two. So you kind of. We, we go through the early years of Tony Scott and then what he did in the 90s. And now we're tackling uh, a very bizarro Tony Scott. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk Domino. This, uh, this is my first time watching it since I saw it in theaters in 2005. I don't know about you. I will tell the people what it's about real quick. It's basically recounting on a very hyper surreal, fictitious take from according to tony scott the life of domino harvey who is uh she she was a model turned bounty hunter mm-hmm. um so yeah i haven't seen this in in 17 years uh how about you was this your first time or, or what never saw it like not even for the podcast <laughs> 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 yep, haven't seen it. What did you think? Is there so it's going to be a quick conversation? <laughs> no, I uh yeah, I'd never seen it before um before watching it this time and um I was fascinated by it. I really was. It's definitely not one of his best movies, uh but it it, it there's a lot going on here um that I thought was really kind of interesting and it certainly wasn't as as bad as I think it's been it's kind of had kind of a really shitty reputation, you know? Um, and it was a, it was a huge bomb by the way. I think, I think the only real box office bomb of his career. Um, Oh yeah. There was like four people opening weekend when I went to see it in theaters. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was, it was a huge, huge bomb. I mean, $50 million budget and it made back 23. So, I mean, it's, you know, you're talking about, that's not counting marketing or anything. This was a real bad market against him. Yeah. So yeah, you're talking about, you're talking about a significant hit the studio took to on this movie. And I I think, I think that kind of, uh, I'm not sure Tony Scott could have got another movie off the ground that didn't have Denzel in it, you know, uh, because obviously Denzel, 
you know, is, is a huge movie star. People see whatever he's in. Um, yeah, Denzel's a god. Just just say that and get it out of the way. Right. I don't know. What did you think about this? What were, what, what were your kind of thoughts on it? Well, I'll tell you. I think you can tell me if you disagree with this, uh, and then we can talk about why you disagree with it or if you agree with it, whatever. I think of the four movies we're covering, his late career movies before his untimely, uh, unfortunate passing, this is the most bonkers style. Mm -hmm. Like, Deja Vu is out there, but this is even more, like, insane than Deja Vu. Now... Do you agree with that? Like out of the, out of the out of these four, this is by far like the most crazy in terms of his his style. Yeah, I would definitely say that. I think you know because I was under the impression, you know, I, I Unstoppable and Taking a Pelham are really not in my rotation, um, which is something I'll I'll probably fix uh, moving forward. But you know, I I I'd kind of made an almost an incorrect assumption that I kind of mentioned last episode that these last four movies. These last four movies are kind of like him hitting the pedal to the floor and just going into crazier and crazier levels of abstraction. And like, that's not necessarily the case. Domino is, to me, a continuation of the style of Man on Fire. But then he kind of like lets off the gas a little bit. And Deja Vu and Taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3 and Unstoppable are more conventional, but in a different way. They're, they're con- they're more like focused, I guess. They're not as they're not as completely out there and expressionistic as Domino or Man on Fire, you know. So that was kind of an interesting development for me because then I, I watched Deja Vu, which I'd also never seen, and I was just like, "Oh, this is more like Pelham and Unstoppable than it is Domino." It like it's so this this might be the peak. Uh, peak like a uh, coked out you know tony scott like it's uh it's out there yeah so but yeah of course i agree yeah so well, well the interesting thing about it is like you know i i clearly had never done any research on this movie because i never had a reason to so when i was just doing some reading about it trying to wrap my head wrap my head around the style a little more i did find out something that's not exactly deep but it does make sense Tony Scott said that the frenetic filming and crazy editing style was supposed to be reflective of the cocaine usage by real bounty hunters. Mm, mm. Interesting. So I think that makes that makes sense because it, there's some really like bizarre choppy that the editing is choppy, very fast. The 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 lens he uses, the color palette he chooses. I mean, some of it really worked for me. And then some of it was just driving me insane. Uh, well, I'll, you go ahead. I, no, I just want to throw this in there, too, in, the, in into the mix, which is that, you know, with Man on Fire, he he really um, and we we've gone, you know, we've obviously gone on quite a bit about Man on Fire, where he is, um, you know, putting forward this. Uh, this brilliant cubist uh, style of, of action filmmaking. Well, I guess just filmmaking in general. Uh, but in that movie, it's all in the purpose of subjectivity, right? Of getting behind, uh, getting into Denzel's, uh, Creasy's mind. You know, what is the, what is he experiencing moment to moment? It's, it's ultimately an act of um, kind of radical subjectivism. 
right? Whereas Domino is not like that. Domino is not kind of laser focused on on Kira Knightley's specific like position as a character. It's more of like portraying a kind of coked out frenetic world that is this insane world of bounty hunting. And I thought, oh, well, that's what going to be what this movie is. But then about 30 or 40 minutes in, it becomes not just a movie about bounty hunting and about this crazy lifestyle, but it also becomes a movie about Hollywood. And in some ways, a kind of Hollywood uh, L.A. satire of reality television and just kind of Hollywood in general, you know. I don't know. Does that sound right to you? It, it's, it's it's a hard movie to describe because it does it does kind of become something different almost about halfway through. Yeah, no, I, I it absolutely becomes something different. It it tackles like in a very non subtle way. It tackles not just reality television, but like you said, like just kind of this this take on Hollywood mm-hmm. and like the choices that these characters make and like the character that Christopher Walken plays it all. It, it completely kind of changes gears. Yeah. Um, you know, some of it really worked for me, like I said, but I'm sorry, like Mickey Rorick kind of just rubbed me the wrong way for most of the movie. Really? I think, yeah, I think Edgar Ramirez was somebody they really tried to make famous, but it didn't really take. And that's sad because I think he's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and, and this is one of the few movies I actually like really like what Kira Knightley's doing. But I mean, Mickey Rourke, man, this is his stage in his career. I didn't like him as the lawyer in in uh, Man on Fire. Really? But yeah, I just, and I like Mickey Rourke. I'm a big fan of the wrestler. I'm a big fan of the stuff he did in the 90s and 80s. Uh, but there's just something about him and this and, and, and it's a few other things that just I don't like. But I'll tell you, the best thing this movie did that I thought was just brilliant was having those guys from 90210 play themselves. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was just fantastic. But I will say a mark against this movie, it ends in another shootout, man. I am tired of convenient shootouts. Mm. Uh I know that's a part of Hollywood with a suspension of disbelief, but I feel like one, I guess one negative thing I'll have to say about Tony Scott is he, he leans on it a bit. I mean, he, and I know that he's not writing the scripts clearly, typically, but it's still something that I guess maybe he's drawn towards. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's almost kind of like a, a, you know, the deus ex machina, you know, like it's almost kind of like a, like a just a way to end the movie that doesn't doesn't really it's like well we got to end this somehow you know like let's let's just let's have, let's end it in a big shootout you know which i think works in some movies and in others it doesn't I, I think it really is kind of it really is kind of insane the way that enemy of the state ends after after all that that movie was and then it just to have it end almost in like a prank um is is very strange but but yeah no yeah that movie was that movie was too calculated to end in such a contrived manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. This one, it works. I mean, it, I mean, I don't like it, but it does. If you want to, if you want to talk about where it works and where it doesn't, it does work in this because this movie was pure chaos. It was fucking cocaine directed, like it injected into your fucking nose or whatever. Like, so it did work like the big explosion, the crazy explosives guy. Like I will say that. 
Yeah, it, it, you know, I um, I think there's a lot to like about this movie, and I think there's there's some not to like. You know, which is I, I was going to say a lot not to like, but I don't, I don't think it's a lot. I think it's just it's just minor things here and there that are just kind of like not um, they're not what Tony Scott is particularly good at. You know, I there there's a lot of zaniness and a lot of comedy in this. And I think when Tony Scott veers into that territory, he is on unsure footing. You know, I think Last Boy Scout had a lot of this kind of uh, comedy that was really just kind of, I don't know, not not very funny and kind of like, uh, uh, I don't know what the word I'm trying, but simplistic or, or you know, just frat boy humor or something, you know, it, it, like there's a lot of that in this movie. And I just think he's he's in unsure territory when he gets around this kind of zaniness. And it, it also almost felt to me like a smoke and aces, like lucky number Slevin, like uh, like a post, you know, Tarantino kind of ironic action movie, you know, and I don't think that is a territory where he's very comfortable. And I don't think it's a territory where he's at his best. But that being said, I do think there's a lot to like here. You know, I, I do think there's the visuals will never get old, right? Like the visuals, you know, his, his complex visual style and the way that he manipulates space and time will never not be at the very least interesting. And at the, at the very highest, completely sublime, like it is in man on fire. There are some beautiful colors and shots and, um, and things like that. I think the performances are, are, are generally great all around, I think Walken, I think he gets some really interesting work out of Walken and the way he edits Christopher Walken's performance is really interesting. This is going to sound strange, but he almost edits Walken's performance around the pauses that Walken does, you know, those kind of weird pauses that he does. Like he, I don't know, he edits around those. It's a very strange editing of a performance, but it's, it's interesting. And I think, I think Kira Knightley is a movie star, clearly. I think she's only 20 here. It's just right off Pirates of the Caribbean. She's clearly a movie star. Um, I think Edgar Ramirez is probably a little miscast. I, and I love him. I think he's great. I mean, Carlos, I mean, holy shit. You talk about a movie or miniseries, whatever that is. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I generally liked it. And I, I, you know, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot to like, but I also think there's there's a lot that is just kind of like, boy, I don't know about this, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna. The the movie is far from like condemnable. I I would say like I'm not gonna say, oh, don't watch this movie. It's just, it's definitely a, it's it's Tony Scott's most. I will say in terms of this style that he kind of took on with Man on Fire and Deja Vu, um, in terms of color palettes and interesting lens choices and and just the just the insane editing. This is his most ambitious, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Like, I don't think, I don't think, like, I got the feeling from watching the movie that he didn't necessarily love the story, but I think he wanted to do the movie so he could experiment more. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a movie without Denzel, and, and that clearly was something, because Denzel you know, star stars in his next three films and starred in his previous two. So it was just, I guess a different kind of movie he wanted to experiment with. But honestly, the whole movie to me seems a little weird. The whole idea of the movie, Richard Kelly wrote it. 
which is bizarre because that guy's written seven things. So it's kind of weird that this story was something that that he wanted to adapt to the screenplay to. Well, I like, think the whole thing is just kind of weird. Well, I think Southland Tales, uh, he had written the script for Southland Tales, which had not been released, but had been written and had circulated around Hollywood at the time. Yeah. And so Tony Scott was very impressed with the script of that. And that that is what led him to hire Richard Kelly for Domino. And uh, just a couple other things to know. Obviously, you know, he Tony Scott saw Kira Knightley in Pirates of the Caribbean and was like, well, she needs to be my next action star. But I also wanted to bring up something really fascinating about this because, you know, we do have to move on. I think this is certainly maybe the most least interesting movie we're talking about today. But 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 we're talking about Tony Scott. So that's, you know, it's always going to be at least, you know, interesting at the very least. But I read that he he considered this uh, his most personal movie. Uh, which sounds absolutely insane initially. But uh, from what I understand, this was, you know, Kira Knightley being a very, you know, proper British uh, kind of aristocrat and getting into the dirty world of bounty hunting is a kind of extended metaphor for Tony Scott's own life. He was, you know, he was uh, obviously British and trained in art school to be a painter and kind of dirtied himself with the dirty rock and roll business of advertising and eventually Hollywood. And so it's kind of an extended metaphor for his own, uh, his own life and his own experience. So a lot of that zaniness and craziness that we're talking about is directly related to Tony Scott's own experience of moving from a kind of very buttoned up, you know, British, um, you know, upper middle class life uh, to, you know, Hollywood in the cocaine fueled eighties and nineties. And, you know, um, and when you think about it like that, it becomes a very interesting, auteurist lens through which to view the movie, because it, you, you see, you see a movie like this and you don't think of the word personal, you know, you think of, you know, Kenneth Branagh making Belfast or whatever, but, but, but I think that's, um, I think that's what originally attracted him to this story was he, he he saw this movie about this real life woman, Domino Harvey, and thought, oh, my God, that's that's like my life, you know, and then tried to uh, replicate his experience in Hollywood with um, this absolutely completely bizarre, uh, tricked out vision uh, that he brings in this movie. And I think that is a really interesting lens to look through it. Yeah, I, I had read that and I just I, I personally like clearly I'm, I, I can't question Tony Scott, but I. I, uh, I personally just, I struggle with that idea because that just, to me, does not resonate in the movie. So I, I think, yeah, it's definitely one of those situations where you have to kind of read that in an interview to kind of get that. It's definitely, I don't think it's definitely in the movie at all, but it's, it's interesting to know that's kind of what he was thinking about and what his, the, the, those were his kind of intentions. Um, and he does he actually have a quote. Where he said, the, well, says, uh, the film was among Tony Scott's favorite of his own film, although he was very critical of it, saying, I didn't let the movie breathe enough. The script was great, but I got overcome by the insanity of the world I was trying to create. I think I fucked up on that one. So he was, he loved it and it was a very personal movie, but he was also very self-critical of it because he didn't think he pulled it off like he wanted to. Interesting movie. Interesting movie, Domino. No, it was yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting movie. I think it's not his worst movie. Um, I don't even think it's probably his next to last. Not even next to worst movie. Um, 
but it's definitely of the four we're watching. To me, it's definitely the worst one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deja Vu, uh, which we can move on to if you're ready. Sure. Um, So basically, Deja Vu came out a year later, 2006. He's back, 2006, he's back with Denzel. Uh, The movie's about a fairy is bombed uh, in New Orleans and an ATF agent uh, starts investigating with a very experimental uh, surveillance tech. So once again, we're back to basically the government finding new futuristic ways to spy on us. <laughs> so this movie I'd watched in theaters and didn't really care for it. And I text you the night I rewatched it for the second time. And I have ch- either changed, obviously I've clearly changed since 2006 or uh, also I was maybe not in a, a good mood for the movie when I went and saw it in theaters. Cause I watched it cause it was Denzel. I did not care for it the first time. And I've never wanted to rewatch it. So then when we did this episode, uh, I was happy to, and it fucking blew me away. I honestly thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was just fantastic. So, so I know this was your first time watching it. uh, So what did you think? Yeah. You know, I, um, (laughs) this was a ride, man. I I did not know this was, it was fucking trippy. dude. (laughs) I did not know this was a time travel movie. Uh, <laughs> which, yeah, that's like a time travel movie, but there, there is something, this movie has some bizarre elements of time travel in it. Yeah. Oh, 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 hundred percent. I mean, I like, I, I, I thought, oh, this is interesting. This surveillance thing. And I was like, oh, well, this is a little implausible. And then I was like, like, I did not know it was science fiction. Like I thought, oh, this is a little implausible. They're they're able to look back like three days ago. That seems that's crazy. What what is this movie? And then the whole time travel thing, and I was like, oh my god, is this a sci fi movie? Like I I literally had no clue that the, the what I was getting into when I watched this. I don't know. There's a lot going on here, man. I don't even know where to start. I mean, the production background I think is really interesting because this was one of those um, this is one of those blacklist uh, screenplays that were like you know, floating around Hollywood. And then I think the writers of it eventually, you know, sold it for like $15 million or something. It was just this amazing script that somebody's going to make. And then Tony Scott signed off and completely like rewrote it and butchered it. And the writers of it were really pissed. They were like, he turned our great time travel movie into an action movie. And it's like, yeah, you fucking nerds. He made it fun. He made a fun movie as opposed to, I'm sure you're, um, absolutely you know excruciating you know discourse on time travel which we've talked about that hey i need i need you to pump the brakes pal because nerds like shane carruth wrote primer and that movie's a masterpiece so i'm gonna need you to back off the nerd bashing no no there's one there's one good time travel movie there, there's one movie yeah there's one good time travel movie i mean i know there's others but like dude this time travel shit gotta stop man like it, we've gone too far with this shit of uh, it's in, I feel like it's in every action movie now, you know, or every, like it's in the Avengers and all that shit. It's like, stop it. And Nolan with his big experiment, just like, stop it. No, this time travel shit. We need to make a ban on all time travel movies for the next 10 years and see if anybody has any better ideas after those 10 years are up. You know what? We'll agree to disagree on this and we'll just get back to deja vu. <laughs> I thought you didn't like time travel movies. Well, I, 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 to a, to a certain extent, I don't like Tenet was clearly terrible. I'm sorry. I fucking hate it. Tenet, mm-hmm. but no, like it, it, if, if they're done in a fun way, 
uh, which which a, a lot of the times they are. I'm a big fan. I, I I like I like when people like I love Primer too. I love a grounded take on time travel. Um, and, and I love and I loved this movie. I loved what what Tony Scott did with the action side of it. But I would be very curious to see what the original story looked like. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna nerd bash. Okay, well, ap- apparently it was really like it's supposed to be like this thriller that's time travel or whatever. And, and Tony Scott was just like, make an action movie. Don't care. Uh, which- yeah, I'm going to make an action movie with like the odd elements of, of a man obsessed with a woman like like vertigo. Like, what the fuck is this? What is this? Like- well, let's let's try to break it down into its its parts, because initially we get when it comes to style, he really takes a step. um a step back in this movie, like as far as like, I, I don't mean, I don't mean back and forth of like, it's worse, but I mean, back in the sense of like, he, 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 this is a more normally shot and edited movie. Opposed to, yeah. Opposed to Domino. Right. Sure. Hey, to, our man on fire for that matter. Right. 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 And so, you know, it's really kind of a focusing of his, of his style into a more conventional kind of thriller sci-fi action movie. But, Dude, the really interesting thing is what he does with some of these action scenes. I mean, there's that scene where he's got the rig where he can see what's happening in the past and the car chase. I mean, dude, that is one of the most that is one of the most insane, awesome things I've ever seen in an action movie. I mean, that I mean, that was incredible, right? No, I yeah, I, I agree. It was dude, I I'm I was like there were certain parts of this movie I was like giddy when I was watching it mm-hmm. because it was just so it was so fun. It, it made next to no sense, and it just looked so fucking great. Right. Like, and that scene's one of them. Like, especially after he breaks it, so he like he like he he gets out and and walks around with it when he's at the guy's compound. It's 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 fantastic. It legitimately was was fantastic. Yeah, the way that he takes kind of the tropes of time travel and turns it into something, you know, cuz I don't know for any listeners who haven't seen it, like it's basically I'm not going to get into the mechanics of of the of time travel in this movie, but like the scene we're talking about uh Denzel is wearing this kind of like rig that allows him to see what happened in that location like 4 years or 4 months ago or whatever, right? in that specific location, but he's also in the location in real time. So he's like watching what happened previously in that location while also being in that space in real time. Like it's, it's crazy, dude. Like it, like this whole movie is almost like a metaphor. It uses time travel as like a metaphor for cinema. Like it it really is shocking in how, thematically rich it is alongside being a really fun like pumped up action movie it, it i don't know man i'm trying not to be hyperbolic this movie is fucking great there there's one scene in particular where it really like the movie kind of just goes on to this it, it goes to this next level in terms of what the movie's trying to do and when he picks that laser pointer up and yeah. shines it and he immediately like is like no that's like like you're finding out with him with our main character uh trying to wrap your head around the fact that that was a live feed mm-hmm. to four days and like eight hours ago yeah 
And once you hit that point in the movie, Tony Scott never takes his foot off the, off, off the gas. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just, it's just so, it's so fucking good. We really, we really get to, yeah, we really, it, it's really kind of, uh, Denzel becomes like the audience surrogate and he, you know, cause there's a great scene where they're like trying to explain time travel to him and he's like, shut the fuck up and say simple words. Like, <laughs> yeah, he like breaks the monitor. He's like, is it broken? <laughs> like, yes or no. <laughs> it's, inc- it's really incredible. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it like it's such a good um god it's such a good portrayal of this whole time travel bullshit and he you know like a lot of a lot of i feel like and this is you know similar to what nolan did and i think similar to what some other movies like looper and all that shit does which i like looper it's fine whatever but like it's it's instead of time travel being an end of itself right where like it's like they go back in time and like look, there's Captain America from like five years ago from the previous movie. Don't you remember that? You know, you little piggy, enjoy your slop, you know? Like, instead of that, he like used... No, that's unnecessary. (laughs) He like uses this time travel technology that they've invented in the movie like to actually make great action scenes, you know? Like, it, it is... God damn, it, it really it's is. It's like the opposite of what Nolan did with Tenet. It, it, dude, you're right. It's the exact opposite of what Nolan does. Nolan is so concerned with the nuts and bolts and all the fucking science shit, making sure all that shit is accurate. He forgot to make an entertaining movie. This is the opposite. This is a movie that doesn't give a fuck about any of that technical bullshit. It is just balls to the wall fun. And I don't know, man. That just rules. I mean... now. We, I do have a question, though, because we, we have two more movies to get to, so we need to move it along. But I do want to ask you, like, outside of anything else you have to say about it, we have to touch on the Vertigo influence, yes. which I did not pick up on the first time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fucking bizarre, dude. It's just really weird how he did it. Like, do you think that was a creative choice that they, that he decided to change in the script as like an homage to to Hitchcock or was it really necessary to drive the story? I I think it is necessary to drive the story because I do think that the, like he introduces this technology, right? He introduces the tech into the movie and the tech becomes a metaphor for cinema. Like it really truly does. And that's, you know, I think it's inherent to the, to the thematic element of the movie, right? Like it's not um, uh, like vertigo is, is a, uh, this is not all vertigo is, but, but it is, um, it is a metaphor for how we kind of fall in love with movies, right? And Hitchcock did this. Hitchcock made a lot of movies that are about watching movies. Rear window is probably the best example, but, but vertigo is about, you know, kind of, seeing an actress on screen or seeing a a star on screen and kind of not not necessarily even falling in love with them, but getting obsessed with them. Right. I I did a Twitter thread about this uh, a couple days ago about Bogart. You know what I mean? Like not it's, it's stronger than, than falling in love with somebody. It's, it's an obsession. It's, it's, I want to know more about that person. What are they doing? It's getting a Bogart poster on your wall and worshiping it like John Paul Belmondo and breathless, you know, it's, Vertigo is a metaphor for that. The way that Jimmy Stewart kind of falls head over heels and just is obsessed with Kim Novak's character in that movie. And Denzel is doing the exact same thing with Paula Patton's character. 
I mean, the exact same thing. He literally sees her in the past and becomes obsessed with her, right? Like, and that great scene where Paula Patton is just like walking around with like a bra on and she's like walking around in her underwear and like the whole room is collectively watching her. Brother, if that is not a metaphor for cinema, I don't know what is. I mean, that might be the metaphor for cinema. All these strangers essentially are in a room together watching, you know, this this beautiful woman walk around in her underwear. They're all thinking the exact same thing. They're all objectifying her. They're all voyeurs. You know, it's 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 and that is exactly what movies are. That's exactly what a large portion of the pleasure of movies comes from. It, it comes from be, getting to be a voyeur on this uh, this secret world, you know, with a bunch of strangers in a room. You know, something David Thompson writes really well about, friend of the pod. So I think I think it is inherent to the movie. Like I think it is it is maybe even the most important thing in the movie. The, the all the other action movie stuff is almost just like icing on the cake. This is at its core a really really complex meditation on voyeurship which is to say a meditation on on cinema itself um i don't know did it strike you that way or did it did it just seem kind of like set dressing or like an homage no no it it struck me that way i mean yeah i I think anytime in a movie you have a situation like that i mean sometimes it's more on the nose and sometimes maybe even it's it's uh accidental I feel like it represents what cinema is. Um, and and I, I liked it. I thought it was watching it through my eyes now, opposed to back in 2006, I was just able to enjoy a lot more about it. And honestly, I was fascinated by the creative decision to kind of turn this into a story of this man's journey to save this woman. Mm-hmm. Now, at times it was comical because you're like, you don't give a fuck if all these people blow up. Right. Yeah, you're just yeah, trying yeah. to save this woman. You're just trying to save Paula um, Patton, which, hey, you know what? Respect, Enzo, you know? Um, but I just, yeah, I, I thought it was great. Now, I was a little surprised they snuck in like a, like a very quick nude scene. I did not mm-hmm. expect that. You, that's really something that's gone away from PG-13 movies the last 10 years or so is is yeah. sneaking in like some brief nudity. Uh so I wasn't expecting that and I was watching I thought I was safe watching a PG-13 Denzel movie with my mother. And Oh, you uh, watch this with your mom? I wasn't. Yeah, cuz she loves Denzel and I thought it was PG-13. She doesn't watch rated R movies and I thought, "Hey, this will be nice." That whole scene was awkward and then it just it it uh a full awkward bloom when you get the nude scene and i'm like wow that's well, great it's well it's really fascinating because because you know we get denzel and denzel is is just ogling her right like he is just completely entranced you know mouth agape watching her you know and and like you know paula Patton is perfectly cast i mean she, this is not just another attractive actress i mean she truly is a goddess like she's so beautiful and yeah, take calm down, pal. No, I'm not gonna calm down. It's fucking Paula Patton, you son of a bitch. <laughs> no, don't, don't kink, don't kink shame me. Um, uh, get, hey, get Paula Patton's name out your fucking mouth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I sorry, I, I take it back. I apologize. <laughs> Anyways, um, so, so yeah, like, it, like he's like watching her, and then she starts to disrobe, and it's like it's such a fascinating scene because. 
we're all watching. I mean, maybe you weren't watching it, obviously, because your mom is in the room. But like, we're all watching it, and we're like, oh shit, we get to see Paula Patton naked, and then like Denzel just like butts in and is like, oh, this is too much. Everybody turn away, and it's like Denzel, brother. Like five minutes ago, you were not even five minutes ago. Five seconds ago, you were like you know, pitching a tent over there just in, in awe of this woman. But now it's just a little too much, you know, like it, it's just such a, it's just such a fascinating commentary on like what we will think is acceptable to watch in a movie or what we won't think is acceptable. You know, like your example, you were perfect. You would have been perfectly fine watching that in a room by yourself, but with your mom in the same room with you, it becomes a completely different ball game, you know? And I'm sure if, uh, you know, if she had begun, like we are completely comfortable watching Paula Patton take her clothes off in the movie. But let's say like, and I don't mean this to be, I don't mean this as a laugh line either. I'm just trying to think of something that we wouldn't want to see. But like, let's say she like plops down and starts taking a shit, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you be like, oh my God, why are they showing that? You know, like we all, we all have our lines of like what we're willing to be voyeurs in when movies and we all have what we aren't willing to be voyeurs in. And I don't know, man, this, this movie is much deeper. Part of me is like, we should have just given this movie its own episode. This movie is much, much deeper than we are giving it credit for. And that I think it's probably ever gotten credit for. It's, it's, it's really an interesting movie. I agree. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it, it maybe gets a whole episode, but I do agree that, that this movie is a lot deeper than it lets on. And, uh, and I, and and this one definitely a hundred percent watch this movie because uh, it, it's worth checking out just just for some of the action scenes and just the overall style is worth checking out. I uh, I want to point one last thing um, before we move on, uh, just briefly. There's a shot where you know just God just speaking of Tony Scott's ability to craft these just absolutely beautiful images. Um, there is you know a lot of a lot of uh, attention has gotten uh, about the blue orange uh, color palette in movie posters. And that has kind of spilled over into the blue orange color palette in movies, you know? And yeah, there hasn't been a lot of discourse around it lately, but it seemed like it was people were talking about it, you know, in like the mid around the 20 mid 2010s or whatever. But uh, Tony Scott does one of the most interesting things I've ever seen with the blue orange color palette. And that is when people are falling in the water from the explosion and the camera is underwater and the underwater is this beautiful stylized blue, right? I mean, this is supposed to be like, um, you know, uh, I guess the, uh, is it the Mississippi river? Yeah. Mississippi river. Yeah. This is supposed to be the Mississippi river. Cause that's where Algiers is in new Orleans. Um, this is supposed to be the Mississippi river uh, which does not look like this, but it looks like this like beautiful blue water that you would see in like the Caribbean or something. And the background is just the flames and the absolute, just like orange bright flames in the background. And you're in the blue, but almost all you can see is the orange. It is an absolutely beautiful shot. And one of, one of the best uses I've ever seen of those two color combinations. It, it almost is like, the screen is like bisected in half with those two colors. It's really, it's really stunning bringing those colors in to that space. And, and, oh man, it was just, I thought it was so beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I did too. I, I, the whole, honestly, the whole scene 
of just them being underwater attempting to break out of the to break out of the vehicle uh just the the way that he managed to to film all the water scenes mm-hmm. the opening scene with the explosions and the scene when they're actually falling off of the of the ferry right um I, it was so clear it was the clarity of those action scenes were it was masterful because talk about shaky cam choppy quick editing action movies like that sums up the early 2000s yep. um and so and tony I mean, scott yeah, it, it was really well done and tony scott and this will this will transition into the next two movies tony scott does all of those crazy things the shaky cam and the and the the crazy editing and fast pace and all that shit he does all of that shit but you never lose track of what's going on like that you never do it, it's 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 really really skillful um Unlike with Paul Greengrass, who I do like, but he will give you a seizure if you're not careful. Yes. Greengrass is like, and I, I do like Greengrass too, but Greengrass is like almost trying to disorient you. Tony Scott is is doing this really interesting thing, but he's never trying to disorient you. You're never confused about the space and the action that is going on in a Tony Scott movie. It's really, yeah, he, he's just so great. Um but you want to talk about these two movies? I'm going to let you ISO on these two because I know, I know you're you're a big fan of both of them, and I am too. But I think I may have less to say. I think there might be less meat on the bone for me for these two. Um, taking a Pelham one, two, three, and Unstoppable. Yeah, I mean the the, the Taking a Pelham one, two, three is a remake, uh, and and that remake is from what was it? Nineteen, yeah, nineteen seventy four. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if it was seventy three or seventy four. And that's a fantastic movie. Walter Matthau, Robert Shaw. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the performance from Matthau, but there's, for some there's reason, a, Tony's... There's a 1998 movie, too. There's a 98 remake? Yeah, with Edward James Almost. Is it a Almost. TV movie? It was a TV movie, yeah. Oh, okay. I like Edward James Almost, but I've never seen the TV movie. Yeah, I just want to shut that out there. Yeah, it's, I didn't know about that either until I, I read about it. Uh, yeah. That's cool. Okay. Vincent Not Vincent well, Nofri is in it, too. Wow. That's does Vincent D'Onofrio play the guy robbing? I'm assuming. Um, let's see. I don't know. Um, Ryder. It seems like he would be playing the guy robbing the train, opposed to the guy in the. Uh... Either way, um, so with this, uh, with this one, we get a return. We got uh, James Gandolfini's back. Denzel Washington's with him again from Deja Vu, uh, and obviously others. Uh, but this is just, it's about a hijacking of a, of a subway train mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's a very simple story, but it's also a complex story when it comes to breaking down the relationships that these, that these two men, uh, kind of, uh, the, develop over the course of the movie. It's honestly a, like, it feels shorter than it is. It's an hour and 46 minutes, but it feels shorter than that mm-hmm. because of just how fast that everything moves. But as we discussed off pod, John Travolta went through a time for like 10 years or so, Swordfish, Broken Arrow, Face Off, which kind of set him off, I think. This movie, there was one more in there too, where he kind of plays the same bad guy. Mm -hmm. And I'll be the first to say, I don't care because it's awesome. (laughs) I think John Travolta is fantastic in this movie. I mean, their their back and forth is ridiculously good. I love the fast-paced nature of it. I love Denzel kind of plays more of the like unassuming hero role. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, very similar to what he does in Unstoppable. But in Unstoppable, it makes more sense because he's been doing it for 30 years. And he kind of like, you know, once you do something that long, you kind of feel beholden to it. But he was more or less like disgraced in taking a Pelham 123. So he's he's this disgraced character, but also kind of an unassuming hero who goes above and beyond to stop what's happening to the point to where he literally kills Ryder at the end of the movie. Spoiler alert, but I mean, come on, you probably know that. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, um, this is to me, the this is similar to, this is the um, collateral blueprint, you know? Uh, almost, I mean, I don't want to say a remake of collateral, but the, uh, the, the parallels to collateral is really, really telling. I mean, we've got obviously a black icon, you know, uh, actor like Denzel and then Jamie Foxx. And then we've got Travolta slash Tom Cruise, the crazy Scientologist villain, you know, and they both, um, you know, through their insanity, bring about, you know, a kind of change in our character. Uh, and I don't mean that as like faint praise at all. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's a good, it's a good formula, you know, and I think it works really well uh, in this movie. I, I, I was kind of shocked by just how good of an action movie this is. Like these two movies, I feel like Tony Scott, it's like he settles into the pocket. He stops kind of being super ambitious and just is focused on making just fucking great movies. And that's why I think these two, I think are the best movie, you know, obviously we'll talk about Unstoppable later, but I think these two right in a row are like his best movies since uh, Crimson Tide as far as just like pure entertainment. They're not necessarily thematically interesting, at least I don't think so. But I think they're just as far as like pure entertainment goes, like they're as good as anything he's ever done. Uh, no, I mean, I, yeah, clearly I agree. There's not, there's no depth there. Like, very, like you know, if 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 Domino was supposed to be this super personal picture, and if Deja Vu was supposed to be like on some levels this homage to not just Hitchcock but cinema and just the way. Also, a bits and pieces of revisiting the subject matter from '98 with Enemy of the State. Yep, yep. Um, these two are much more action driven, like you said. Like no, like, like no knock against them, but they are just action movies to the core. Unstoppable, which once again, I don't know if there's a human being capable of consistently turning in good performances uh, the way Denzel can. Mm. I mean, he's just—it's unreal, but. Denzel and Chris Pine, Rosaria Dawson was fantastic and unstoppable. The movie was insane. Like I, this is my first time watching it. I had never seen it. Wait, I have seen what? Taking You've Appellate never one. seen Unstoppable before? Yeah, yeah, dude. That's why I texted you and said, "I, I, I said, uh, this movie has no business being this good." Holy shit! I, I didn't know you'd never seen it before. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of Denzel, and I pretty much watch everything he's in. But this movie came out in 2010. I remember exactly why I didn't watch it. I was in the middle of moving to Alaska and I was super busy when it was in theaters. So I just never watched it on DVD. I was like, I don't give a fuck about a train. Mm. Like I love Denzel. I'll watch it, but I just never did. So here we are 12 years later and I'm like, holy shit, this movie is fucking brilliant. Yeah. Like the action is clean. It, it, this movie makes you fucking bite your nails and sit on the edge of your seat about a fucking runaway train that's based on a true story. Yeah. Like it's just, it, it was, it was so fucking good. The, and I, I cannot emphasize this enough because I am a, 
We have talked about, both of us have talked about like action movies like John Wick, where it's very clean, it's very real. There's a lot of stunt work. There's not a lot of quick cuts. There's not a lot of CGI or any of that similar like Taken, where every time Liam Neeson moves a limb, there's a cut because he's 80 years old. Um, <laughs> That's so really when, funny. <laughs> when you look at these cuts, like even Denzel running down the train, like you buy it. He's an older guy, but the stakes are so high and lives are, are in the balance and, and it's so clean. Like you're, you're watching it at any given point through three different lenses Yeah, and everything fucking works. Like I cannot believe unstoppable was this good. I am legitimately sitting here blown away by how, how much fun this movie was. Yeah. I think, I think Pelham and unstoppable are really, um, they're they're like 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 Pelham is very is more character driven I think um, by virtue of the fact that it's a little bit longer and we get a little bit we get to spend a little more time and and it literally is collateral but like on a train. I will say I meant I meant to say a second ago not to interrupt you but I you, your collateral take is is missing the mark a little because Jamie Fox was a significantly more likable hero and person to root for than Denzel was in taking a Pelham one, two, three. Sure. It, it's, don't get me wrong. It's not one-to-one. Uh, but I just think, I, I think it's, I think it's very similar. Just, just, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe the Travolta Cruz Scientology connection is doing a lot of work there, but I just feel like that's, it's more of a character driven movie. It's a care. It's more of a character driven action movie than unstoppable where like the character beats we get in unstoppable are, you know, quick, get him out of the way. Let's get back to the action. You know what I'm saying? Whereas, whereas this, this is a little bit more of a character piece for Denzel to Pelham. I mean, and clearly it goes without saying, but collateral is, is it's, it's so far, no offense to, to Tony Scott or taking a Pelham one, two, three, but collateral is on a different planet. Than yeah. This movie. yeah. 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 I didn't, you know, we, I, we all, we all know a Michael Mann lover, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to introduce that and start a fight, but yeah, I'm glad you agree. Um, uh, but yeah, Pelham, and unstoppable. I mean, dude, they're just as good as fucking action movies get. I mean, Pelham is is you know, like I said, it's similar to Collateral, not just in the plot details, but in the sense that it is a character driven action movie. Unstoppable is more like Mad Max Fury Road, right? I think a lot of the reason people liked Mad Max Fury Road is because there was really no subtext to it whatsoever. I mean, some people read some like feminist subtext in which okay but like it's that's barely there like you know that movie is just balls to the wall from beginning to end and like i know obviously you have more complex thoughts on that movie but that's similar in structure to what unstoppable is like it literally is just like like rosario dawson has this great line where she's like this is like a missile the size of a chrysler building and it's like moving at like 70 miles an hour like you know, through the Pennsylvania countryside. And it's like, that is a movie, dude. That is a fucking movie. Like that is a capital M get the popcorn ready. Like, like that is a, that is just such a great idea for a movie. And Tony Scott, it's, it's one of those movies that is so perfect in concept and so perfect in execution, right? Like it's a great idea for a movie and he just executes it to, just a perfect level of tension and fun and a little bit of humor here and there, but not too much. And like Denzel and Chris Pine really have this like workman, like uh, uh, performances where they're just like, 
they're just action stars. They're just like, no, we got to do this thing. Yeah, but what about, no, we just got to do the thing. We got to do the thing, and we got to save this train from killing a bunch of people. And, like, that's it. That's the movie. And I just, god damn, man. It's just, it's really incredible. It is. But if if it had been me and Denzel's spot, I would just be like, nah, I'm clocking out. Uh, Adios, motherfucker. Good luck with all that. But in all honesty, it's it's thrilling. The third act is thrilling. It's beyond thrilling, really. When when once they connect to the train and you realize there's like 20 minutes left, it is balls to the wall craziness. Yeah. And it's believable. It's clear. I cannot emphasize enough how clear Tony Scott shoots some of these action scenes. They may be quick cuts at times. That is his style. There may be uh, like an off color palette, like he's going to still be Tony Scott, mm-hmm. but the clarity of the action is there. Yeah, like that is a fact. And and, and this is, you know, I, I want to say too, like, well, I want to say quickly, Pelham is a great New York movie, great New York movie. I mean, this is like, yeah, th- this is almost like a it, th- this phrase gets overused, but this is almost like a love letter to New York. Like it is. Uh, Gandolfini's performance as the mayor and like, are you a Yankees fan? No. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, <laughs> like it's just, it's just, man, it's just a perfect New York movie. It just takes place in the subway and you know, all that. Um, but uh, like we've been talking about how like, you know, the style takes a little bit back, but it's not, it doesn't so much take a step back as it gets focused, right? He takes this, just insane expressionistic cubist style that he developed and perfected, I would say in man on fire. And then he tailors that to making an incredible action movie, right? A couple of incredible action movies, you know, like you said, um, deja vu is really thematically complex and, you know, uh, domino is personal or whatever but like it's like he takes all the lessons he's learned throughout his career how to make a regular action movie like top gun how to and then this this fascinating cubist expressionist quick cutting color palette you know crazy you know style that he has and he just he just like it's like he boils it down to just like a condensed syrup of just pure action and it's like Dude, you can't, it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than that as far as like movies are concerned than something like Unstoppable for me. I mean, it's just, you know, I don't know, man. I, I love Tony Scott so much, man. Well, I, I do. I have one thing to add about taking a Pelham before we get to closing comments on Tony Scott, if you're ready for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think, and I think this every time I watch it, and sure, this is just kind of an offhand line, like you're not really going to notice it, but I'm sorry. It, it has bur- burrowed its way into my brain. I've seen Taking a Pelham a few times, probably like four or five times. Every time John Travolta tells that guy to lick his bunghole, <laughs> I think to myself, do you think that was improv? I, do you think that was in the script or do you think it was improv? I'll tell you this. I don't know if this, I, I genuinely don't know how much of what you're saying is a bit right now, but I would not be surprised if 60% of Travolta's performance was improv. 
Like, oh, I'm not doing a bit. I'm legitimately asking. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I really, I really truly think like Travolta. Like, I really truly think they just let Travolta cook in this movie. Like, <laughs> they dude, were, he's so good. Oh, like, he's incredible, man, dude. I love when people, I love when people like him uh, get the opportunity to go the fuck off in movies. You know, like, I don't know. I, I love it, dude. I think it's great. But I will say this, and in, in, in all sincerity, when 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 you look at Tony Scott, a few words come to mind. Going down this this little rabbit hole of 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 his films that we've done over this over these three parts, uh, I would say he's underappreciated. I would say that some people, like in the film world, would feel like he's not worth that second glance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm here to tell you, I've learned that he is. I think that he is influential in more ways than people realize. And I will take the action movies he was making in his career. It doesn't matter if it's kind of non-action, like we discussed with Man on Fire. It doesn't matter if it's more of a tense drama action, like Crimson Tide, mm-hmm. or something like Top Gun, Days of Thunder. Clearly deja vu what we've talked about, Domino. I would take any of those over a lot of, most of the action, mainstream action movies we get today. Because look, I like some of the movies I'm about to kind of use as an example, but the Fast and the Furious movies are not action movies. Mm-hmm. Like you may think they're action movies, but it it does not count as an action movie when 80% of it is done on a computer. Right. Like the Marvel movies, they're entertaining, they're fun. Sure. Whatever. We all watch them. They're not action movies. Right. Like D- D- Disney and Marvel doesn't even think enough. They don't even care enough to put somebody in front of a real tree to shoot a scene. Mm-hmm. They just use a screen and they inject it like that is not. And I'm not saying he didn't use CGI. Clearly everyone uses CGI to an extent, but I'm saying when you look at these riveting action films that he beautifully shot enemy of the state, I mean, they are so well done, so well crafted, and so clear, even while he's keeping his chaotic spin on it, that it's it's better. It's better than, I would say, 80% of the action movies that yet gets released in theaters today. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess just to put my little my little button on Tony Scott, you know, I, I we, we've talked a lot about vulgar tourism and and really we're, you know, late to the game. Vulgar tourism is not really something that people even really um, talk about anymore, but I, I think it's a valuable um, lens through which to view movies. And the reason why, you know, Nick Pinkerton has this great quote where he says, I don't see the difference between vulgar tourism and just regular old autourism. Like what, like, why are you calling it vulgar? And I, I agree with him, right? Like there's no, um, you know, saying uh, Tony Scott is actually better than meets the eye is no different than, you know, some uh, French writer for Cahiers du Cinema saying, you know, Howard Hawks is actually more than meets the eye in 1962, right? There's no, there's no fundamental difference between those two things. But I think there is a necessity to go back to some of these more recent people and to constantly renew the tourist argument. Right. To renew it and to say, well, yeah, like it's not controversial anymore to say that Howard Hawks was a great director. Like he doesn't need any more champions. 
right? Like he's, you know, he, he's in the he's in the canon, he's in the pantheon, right? But there was a time when he did need some champions. And Tony Scott, I'm not going to say he needs a champion necessarily, because there are a fair amount of people who already agree that Tony Scott is a great director. But there is a necessity to be like, no, he's not just some kind of... Um, He's not just some kind of like, oh, like his movies are actually pretty good and he's actually an auteurist, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, he is a really brilliant filmmaker, right? Like he, you know, I think he belongs in this category of people like um, people like Michael Mann, you know, uh, cut above, you know, the people like uh, Michael Bay, Zack Snyder, you know, some of these other, you know, people who, who, who you know, are kind of associated with the vulgar tourism thing this man is brilliant and he rarely fucking missed. And some of his movies are really, I mean, deja vu is going to have to live with me a little bit longer for me to make this claim, but deja vu might be one of the best movies of that decade. Right. If I let it marinate and see it a few more times, like it really, I can't believe I haven't seen it until now. And unstoppable is definitely one of the best action movies of the past 20 or 30 years, I think. And so which is to say that Tony Scott is not just somebody who it's like, uh, actually his movies are good. It's like, no, he is a real true capital a artist that deserves to be talked about in the same conversation. And I, I mean this a thousand percent. He deserves to be talked about in the same conversation as people like Paul Thomas Anderson, Quentin Tarantino, Christopher Nolan, you know, these people that we very easily give them their, their credit you know tony scott deserves to be in that exact same conversation his not only the fact that he directed a lot of very successful action and thriller movies but the fact that he cultivated this style which is so fascinating this manipulation of time and space this picasso cubism you know like and the fact that he did it in the action genre in mainstream hollywood and then towards the end of his career like refocused on just making two incredible action movies kind of focusing everything that he learned into the original idea, which is just to thrill somebody in a movie theater. If that's not what unstoppable is, I don't know what it is. It's pure thrills. It's thrilling somebody in a movie theater. And the fact that he almost did a loop around and, and worked back to that original goal towards the end of his career is just really, um, it's really fascinating. He, he really, truly is a great director who deserves uh, even more credit than he has been given in the past, you know, 10 years or so. And the fact that he, you know, took his own life just adds another tragic dimension to this um, because we have to deal with that fact, too. The man fucking killed himself. This is a man who, um, you know, Dave Chappelle has that great bit where he's like talks about Anthony Bourdain. It's like this guy had the dream. Right. This guy was a, a big Hollywood filmmaker who didn't have to worry about money, was working with, you know, some brilliant people, Denzel and stuff, and was starting to finally get his uh, critical appreciation that he deserved for so many years. He was starting to get that. And that motherfucker killed himself. That motherfucker who, to all intents and purposes, seems like he had a great life. I would kill to have Tony Scott's life. Right. And that man killed himself. That that shows you how bad that shit is, how bad that mental health shit is. You know, it convinced someone like Tony Scott that his life wasn't worth living. 
when 98% of people would trade lives with him instantly, you know? And I don't know, man, that just, that, that just brings it home even more that this brilliant man, you know, took his own life. And, uh, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm just blathering at this point, but it's, um, I just, I love Tony Scott. I, I'm glad that we did this kind of three, our first three parter since the beginning, really. And, you know, I, I'm glad we did it on him as opposed to some like a uh, Canon director, because I just, I really feel like he deserves more attention and more appreciation and, um, deserves a significant uh, portion in our, you know, uh, post-1980 film history. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said, and I'm glad we did this. I'm, I'm glad that we kind of explored his his filmography and just his style overall, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. At some point, who knows, maybe we'll do a comparison. It's not exactly apples to apples. Ridley has a lot more movies, but... Uh, at some point, who knows, that conversation could happen. But uh, Either way, hope you guys enjoyed this deep dive. And uh, if you have not seen these movies or if you have not watched them in forever, hopefully this kind of made you want to check them out. Uh, but aside from that, I mean, yeah, I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, do you have anything to add before we get out of here? No, man, let's send it home. I will, I will say if you have not seen any of these movies or if you are, you know, haven't seen them in a while, maybe you uh, fell asleep to Unstoppable on TNT, you know, and, 2012 watch them again because this uh the the the, the, these these movies uh definitely reward uh renewed viewing so yeah that's that's the last thing i'll say absolutely cannot agree more guys don't forget rate and review wherever you listen hit us up on twitter instagram to uh keep an eye on what we're doing and and see what uh what great things uh jacob is posting on twitter (laughs) uh but uh anyway guys thanks for listening Hope you enjoyed this little short series on Tony Scott, and we will see you next week at the Silver Screen Video.